0: The fourth chapter of the book of Philippians is where we want to focus our attention today. In verse 4 of chapter 4, we'll read through verse 9. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice let your forbearing spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. have got just a little bit of a ring. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, and if anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace shall be with you. J. Wallace Hamilton tells that one day he and his family were coming home after his little girl's piano recital. Joni had just done a magnificent job. And they were you know, congratulating her and bragging on her. And the little girl's mother said, well, Joni, what did your teacher say? And she said, well, she said that I had good stage presence, but I don't know what that means. And Mrs. Hamilton said, well, for one thing, it means poise. You had poise. And Joni said, well, what does poise mean? Well, Jimmy's sitting in the back seat, and he's... He's the little brother, and he, he's always willing to be helpful. And he says, oh, Johnny, you know what that means. That's like some kind of a disease. Would to God that we all were infected, you know, with an epidemic of poise. Not unlike what the Apostle Paul is talking about here is the word poise or peace, inner peace. And you don't have to have somebody to preach a sermon to remind you why that in these tense times people are desirous of some measure of inner peace. For we've just come out of, or coming out of a decade where most of the major problems have deepened and worsened. Crime and violence. I don't know whether your newspaper my newspaper this morning on the front page of my paper had the story of a 25-year-old police officer yesterday in downtown Dallas, Texas. How he got in a conflict with a street person and this street person took his gun away from him. And this young policeman was on his knees begging for his life and a crowd of people gathered and chanted, Kill him, kill him. And a street person shot him to death in downtown Dallas, turned around to leave, came back and shot him twice more while the people were shouting, Shoot him, shoot him. I mean, that's not, you know, in some, that's not in New York City, that's 90 miles from here. Racial problems and problems with war and the Arab Israeli conflict has escalated to unprecedented proportions. And in the streets today where the Prince of Peace was born, there is unbelievable violence and strife. And the, and, and, the, and the fact is, it's probably not going to get better. You and I have resolved ourselves, I think, to the fact that we're going to live the rest of our days in times of anxiety and fear and distress. Eldon Trueblood stated in one of his books, Whatever the course of history may be in the next 10 years, in the next years, it will not be a course of tranquility. Our modern world has developed so much animosity, so much justifiable fear, so much open conflict, that there is no peace. Peace in our time is as unlikely as was prosperity in the South immediately after the American Civil War because the conditions for peace simply do not exist and we cannot see how they may arise for a very long time. We're in the monsoon, and we must weather it out. Instead of pining for calmer days, the way of wisdom is to learn to live wisely and well in the midst of continuous strain. To live wisely and well in the midst of continuous strain is our assignment. How do you do that? I'm convinced that what happens to derail us is not what happens to us, but our reaction to it, our assignment is how to live wisely and well in the midst of these tense times. I think I have a formula for you, a formula for inner poise, and it's the one found in our text. Now I need to say two things in preface of this sermon. The first is that there is a difference between peace with God and the peace of God. Now what he's talking about here is the peace of God. And a person cannot have the peace of God until he has peace with God. And you'll never have the peace of God without having peace with God. So these words that are addressed in this formula are addressed only to those who are Christians, to the believer to those people who have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The second thing I need to say in preface is this, that the one who addressed these words was Paul not from pulpit, but Paul from prison, so that what he is saying is not something theoretical but something experiential. The Apostle Paul is telling us that in the midst of continuous strain, he has found a formula for inner poise. He has been infected by the disease of inner poise. And this formula can be be stated in five words, each of them beginning with a P. First of all, perspective. Perspective. When you encounter the circumstances of life that would derail you, the first thing you need to do and I need to do is to get back so we can get a view, a a perspective on that. We need to get a good look at what's happening. And the first thing we need to do in perspective is to get God located. I mean, where is God in all of this? And that's what Paul was saying when he said, remember this, when you need to rejoice remember this that the Lord is near and the J.B. Phillips translation has it remember the nearness of God because it makes a tremendous difference in in inner peace or inner poise who's standing near you need to get God located first of all I heard a guy say I wish I had all the days that I have wasted Dealing with the futile why word, asking why this happened and why me, why folks have to suffer. He said, now every time that word comes up, I just substitute the how word. I ask, How can I better present myself to Christ who promised that He would never forsake me? How can I better recognize Him when He he approaches me in the circumstance? How can I better recognize His voice when He speaks to me? We need to find out where God is in all of this. And so Paul Rees tells a story about 30 Soviet peasants meeting huddled together in a little room for worship. And Stalin's goons kicked down the door and came in. That was illegal to worship in public. And he took their names. He told his carpals to now get all their names. And there were 30 of them, so he got 30 names. When he finished, the, the leader of the group of worship said, there's one name you don't have on your list. He said, yes, I do. I'll show you. 30 called off names, 30 people. He said, well, the name you left off, the other person that's been here, his name's not on that list, is... Jesus Christ. And the corporal snuffed and said, Well, that's different. Well, it was different. For in sober re- fact, Jesus was there, a, an utter reality to the eye of faith, defending his people with a weaponry that munitions experts have never devised. So that when things happen in life that seek to derail you, the first way to interpoise poise is to get God located. Where's God in this? The second word is the word prayer. He said, in everything by prayer, let your supplication be made known to God. Don't be anxious, don't worry about anything, pray about everything. I've concluded that the person who worries about things does not pray about things because they are mutually exclusive. It's like water and fire. It's like dark and light. To say that I pray and I worry is to say I'm blinded by this darkness. They are mutually exclusive. So he said Every, in everything, just tell God what you want. And the word supplication there is a word that means the definite particular request for daily, for the supply of daily wants. You can tell God everything you want. You say, can I, can, are we supposed to pray about the little things? Somebody asked G. Kamel Morgan one time, are we supposed to pray about the little things? And G. Kamel Morgan said, is there any little thing with God? Is there any big thing with God? Everything's little to Him. Why should I pray? Because God can handle, it's not too big for Him. Is there anything in your life that's too big for God? I mean, I just can't see God wringing His hands in heaven saying, Oh, Gerald's got a problem. I don't know how we're going to handle that. I can pray about everything. Bill Bright's favorite illustration on prayer has to do with Tom Landry. He said one day they were, uh, Bill Bright is the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ and it's its leader. He said they were in a prayer breakfast one time and he was, one, one Monday, and he was talking to Tom Landry. He said, uh, Coach Landry, do you pray before ball games? He said, yeah, we pray before ball games. He said, well, what do you pray? Now remember, this was back before Dallas, the Dallas Cowboys was America's team. That was back before they started winning which was before they started losing. But anyways, he said, well, what do you pray? And he said, well, he said, we pray, you know, that uh, everybody could have a good game and, and, and nobody would get hurt and the best person would win. And he said, well, your prayer life does not match your life. He said, well, what do you mean? Well, he said, well, why do you, why do you have all these coaches with these high-priced salaries and all these high-priced football players and you have this this elaborate uh, 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 system here you go through and three-day workouts and all that. He said, well, I mean, the answer to that's simple. To win, to win the Super Bowl. Now I know what you're anticipating. You're anticipating that, that Tom Landry started praying that they'd win and started winning. That's, now, now listen to the rest of the story. Tom Landry said to him, he said, are you telling me, that I can pray and ask God to win the football game and He'll let us win? He said, no, I'm not telling you that. But I am telling you that you can tell God what you want and while you're telling God what you want, the peace of God will come upon you. Tom Landon said, I'm going to try it. So the next weekend he got his team together and he said, now boys, we're going to pray for the game. And he got down and and, and they have their pregame prayer. This is what he prayed, Lord... Let us beat the Bears today. I mean, make them fumble every time they carry the ball and let our guys catch all the passes and score touchdowns. Let us win this game. And, and, and he called Bill Bryant. By the way, they lost 48 to nothing. And he called Bill Bryant the next day and said, Bill, let me tell you something exciting. I did what you told me. I told the Lord what I wanted, and while I was telling the Lord while I wa- what I wanted, His peace came upon me. Now we got beat 48 to zip, but it's all right. And from that time on, He has lived by that principle that when you tell God what you want, when you do that, His peace will come upon you, and everything is all right. For well, you see, when I tell God what I think I need. It goes a long way in bringing me what I really do need. Now watch this carefully. One of my favorite stories in the life of Jesus took place one day when Jesus was on his way to Jericho and a blind man by the name of Bartimaeus called out, Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me. And the folks tried to get him quiet, get quiet over there. But Jesus stopped and, and said, "Bring, bring him to me." And Bartimaeus came to him, and Jesus said, "What do you want me to do for you?" Now that seemed like a, that seemed like a, a needless question. I mean, if a guy has half intelligence, and Jesus had divine intelligence, he ought to know that the man wanted his sight. And what do you think would have happened if blind Bartimaeus had said, now watch this, if blind Bartimaeus had said, well, Lord, I just want your will done in my life. I'm willing to accept your will, whatever it is. Or, Lord, I just want you to bless me and bless my family and bless all for whom it is my duty to pray. What do you think would have happened? Well, I don't know what would have happened, but I do know what did happen because blind Bartimaeus said, I want my sight. And the Lord gave him his sight. Now the way to enter poise is to tell God what you want. As a matter of fact, as I study in the New Testament the theology of prayer, I have come to this conclusion that the bottom line for prayer is this, that is it is not some kind of a catharsis where you lie down on a couch and kind of ventilate. The purpose for prayer is for you to tell God what you want. And when you do that, His peace comes. Third word, it's the word praise. It arises out of the word prayer, where the word means adoration, but He adds a little backside to that, kind of like the backside of a coin when He says prayer with thanksgiving. Let your prayer, let your request be made known to God with thanksgiving. And it's not unlike what Paul is talking about in 1 Thessalonians when he said, In everything give thanks. Now, that is not saying that you're to give thanks for everything, but it is saying that you are to be able to give thanks in everything. And when I am able to give thanks in everything or I'm able to praise God in the distressing circumstance, it does a couple of things. What that means is that I have come to the conviction that God is in control and that God will work out of the distressing circumstance His divine purpose and I am verbalizing my faith in that. When I say, Lord, I thank you in this circumstance, or I praise you in this circumstance, I am saying with my mouth this confession, Lord, I believe that you're in control, that you're going to work this out according to the divine plan you have. That's why Ron got done when the woman came to him and said, my daughter's run away from home, and I want you to pray for her. Pray that she'll come home. Pray that she'll be protected. He said... Yes, that's good. We're going to do that. But first of all, we're going to thank the Lord in this circumstance. She thought he was being crude and rude and insensitive. But what he was doing was saying this. Before you can tell God what you want, you have to tell God that you believe that He's in control. That's what you do when you thank Him in the circumstance. And Amy Carmichael was right when she said That the eternal, what's this? The eternal essence of a thing or circumstance is not the thing itself, but our response to it. For the distressing situation will soon pass, but my response leaves a permanent moral and spiritual deposit in my character. End quote. Now this is what she meant. When I am able to respond with praise and gratitude in the the midst of a distressing circumstance, something happens in my character. A moral and spiritual deposit is placed there. And I'm strengthened for it. I'm made better for it. I've found that God has done more in my life, a spiritual growth in a crisis than in any other time. My conversion was born out of a crisis. My call to preach was born out of a crisis. And most of the the growing that I have done in my Christian life has been in the midst of a crisis. Can I not thank Him in that? No wonder Amy Carmichael, this woman was brought back to God through a malignancy, could say, I am greatly blessed by my cancer. So that in the midst of the circumstance, I thank Him and I praise Him. And peace is the result of that. Fourth word is the word preoccupation. Now this is what he says. He said, whatever things are true, whatever things are pure and right and righteous and of good repute, he said, Set your mind on those things. That word there is a word that, that's like a builder who sits down and calculates the construction of a building. Set your mind. Become preoccupied on the pure and the positive. Now there are some people who just think negative thoughts all the time. That's all they do. I hear folks who just... just spill out and spew out criticism and complaining and negative thoughts and negative words. That's where their mind is. He said, set your mind on the things that are pure and positive and that please the Lord. I love Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3 begins like this. If you have then therefore been raised with Christ Seek those things which are above where Christ sits at the right hand. The word seek there is a word that's like the the tree that's growing toward the sun. Seek those things which are above. And then the next verse says, set your mind on the things above. And that Greek word for set is like the compass of a needle, uh, the, the needle of a compass. You put that compass here on this pulpit and that needle just bounces around and seeks magnetic north and when it finds magnetic north it just settles down there. He said, now this is the way to inner poise. Seek like the tree seeks the sun. Seek those things above like like the needle of a compass seeks magnetic north and set your mind there. Be preoccupied there. It suggests three things by implication. It suggests that you and I have the ability to control our thought life. Close the door to the negative thought. I read somewhere recently that if a brush salesman comes to your door and he rings the doorbell and he, you go out to the porch and, 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 and he gives you his, his spill, his speech on the porch, that's one thing. But if you invite him into your den and he gives his little speech in your den, he has a ten times greater chance to sell you than if you had listened to him out on the porch. Now if that negative thought comes ringing your doorbell, the doorbell on your mind, if you close the door to that, that's one thing. If you invite that negative thought into your mind, it has a ten times greater chance to affect you than if you close the door where the thought comes. I close the door to the negative thought. Second thought truth by implication is that everything we think that we set our mind on sooner or later becomes an action. Everything you see has a thought behind it. This pulpit has a thought behind it. This sermon, believe it or not, has a thought behind it. The songs that we sing, that we sang this morning, have a, has these f- songs have thoughts behind them. And the longer you think on something, the more impossible it is not to think on it. And it shapes your mind. You think negative thoughts long enough, and you're going to be negative. You think impure thoughts long enough and those impure thoughts are going to be incarnated in action, you can't keep them from it. The third thing that he teaches by implication is that the way not to think negatively is to think positively. Not, the way not to think impure thoughts is to think pure thoughts. Let me show you something. It's about lunchtime. I've got the correct time, so don't panic. I want you to imagine you you know somebody's home there waiting for you. It's got lunch fixed, and and it's, it's one of these big old juicy sirloin steaks. I mean, cooked to perfection. Can can you think about that? Yeah, and I mean it's that thick and it's just cooked just like you like it. And there's a baked potato with uh, sour cream and butter and. Bacon bits, and a tossed green salad. Don't you? I mean, and, and that tossed green salad just crackles. You know, it's just crisp, fresh tomatoes. And in the ice box is this gorgeous, wonderful ice box lemon ice box pie. I mean, as your mouth, my mouth is watering. Now, I don't now now. I've told you about it. Now, don't think about that. I mean, don't think about it at all. Now, put that out of your mind, and we've got to get on with the sermon. Don't think about that sirloin steak, baked potato, crisp salad, and icebox pie. Well, now, how are you not going to think about that? I mean, the harder you try not to think about that, the more you think about it, right? I remember as a kid... I'd sit out in the audience of a church and I'd look in the choir and I'd think somebody's look. You know, I'd, I'd catch somebody's eye and I didn't want to look back. You know, I was afraid they'd be looking at me. And I'd just concentrate. Don't look back. But I'd look back, you know. <laughs> and they'd be looking at me. You know how that goes? You've, you've had that happen. And the harder you try not to think a certain, certain thought, the more likely you're going to think that. So that, you, you know how to keep you from thinking about sirloin steak and lemon icebox pie is to get you to think of something better as a matter of fact Jesus Christ himself embodies everything that's pure and everything that's honorable and everything that is right and everything that is lovely and what he's saying is this you just keep your mind on Jesus and him and what he wants, what he teaches, and these negative thoughts will never get there. The way to poise. One last word, please. Practice. One of the most famous one-liners was by Paul Hornig. He used to play for the Green Bay Packers. Somebody asked him one time, how is it that you're such a ladies' man, he said. Right off the top of his head, he said, practice, practice, (laughs) practice. Just thought I'd drop that in. How how is it that, that you get inner poise? He said, whatever you have learned from me, whatever you've heard, you start practicing. Now watch this carefully. I want you to hear this. The way to inner poise is not sought for and found the way to inner poise is stumbled upon and found in the path of service. You don't seek for peace of mind. It's like a serendipity. On the way down the path of service, one day you stumble upon it and you just say, well, what do you know? In my desire to find inner poise... I threw my life in to ministry and service, and what I was wanting came as the result of my quest of ministry. You don't seek for it and find it. You stumble on it one day like a rock, and you pick it up and you put it in your heart. Consider Jesus. And he said, there's a peace that the world offers that you can seek for. There is a peace that I give you. And while he was saying that, my peace I give to you, was not. he was not saying that from some ivory tower of detachment. He was in the upper room bearing the burden of the world on his heart. And he explodes the myth that peace is a refuge from from trouble that peace is sought for and found or that you find it when you escape the difficult. He taught us that peace is found in service. 1939, this is a true story and I'm through. A man who was an astute student of political science determined there was going to be a major war on planet Earth. And the proponent of this war would be the Japanese. He he did that before it ever happened. And so he wanted to escape to some place that was perfectly safe. And he got his atlas out and he went for months studying what he believed would be the safest place in the world when the Japanese declared war. And he decided he chose this true story. He chose this little island that was almost totally uninhabited. Little old, in fact, the, the, the soil of that island was like, was much like, is much like the lava on the moon. Not many folk folks are going to spend their time there. It's not worth anything. And so he chose that place to which he would flee for security. That little island was Guadalcanal. And if you know anything about the history of World War II, that little island was literally scorched by the war. Now, the point is this that you can seek for, for the rest of your life, some little place where you'll be free from trouble and you can find some, you look for some little utopian dwelling where you can flee and hide. And more probably that'll be the most tumultuous place you've ever found for peace, inner poise is stumbled on while you're serving God. Listen carefully. There are some of you here this morning who need peace with God. Jesus is the way to peace with God. Paul said, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now you'll never have inner poise without peace with God. And yet you can have peace with God, not inner poise. Some of you this morning need inner poise to be able to live wisely and well in the midst of continuous strain. And one of these words may be just the clue that turns on that for you. Pray with me. Father, I pray this morning that you'll have your way in this place. Give us what we want. And Lord, if what we want is not what you want, give us what we want, what we need. Because I pray in Jesus' name for his sake. Now, there are three invitations this morning. One invitation is for you to come and receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. The war doesn't have to go on. Jesus will make things right if you'll trust Him. Or to come this morning to join the church or to come for rededication of your life, these are the invitations that God extends to us as believers and as lost people whenever we worship. I invite you to come while we stand and sing. You come.